Hi, and welcome back to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. Um, I'm excited to have Edline Francois come back to visit again. If you missed um, our earlier episode focused on creating an anti-bias lens um, in the executive level at an organization, you can just go ahead right back to episode five. Um, but you don't need to hear them both in order. They are strong standalone episodes. And today, Edline is visiting to connect with us on um, developing affinity groups in the workplace as one of the tools and ways to advance um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations. I hope you will enjoy the episode. It was a fun conversation. Welcome to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. In each episode, learn from thought leaders in health, wellness, mindfulness, leadership, and personal development. These folks have helped themselves and others to craft the solutions and strategies to live the life they want to be living. Listen in as these brilliant minds share their knowledge, wisdom, and spirit to inspire you to live a life you love. Hey, good morning, good morning. I am back with my friend, Edline Francois. I really hope that you had a chance to listen to our first conversation. Um, last time we came together to talk about how to create an anti-bias lens in an executive space. And at the end of that conversation, we started to talk about um, affinity groups um, for the workplace. And I couldn't help but want to have Edline come right back to continue that conversation. And I feel like this Maybe it'll be a thing. We'll just keep inviting Edline to come talk about stuff. But let's get to know let's let, let's get to know Edline a little bit more today. So you you learned about her kind of professional background in that last episode. Um, as a reminder, you know she does um, consulting with organizations and organizational development to help facilitate courageous conversations on race, help executive teams create an anti-bias lens. Um, she's got a background in public health research. Um, she's really kind of at the the center of a lot of the things happening right now in our country, actually. So I kind of feel like she's an amazing resource for people. But Edline, um, tell us. Well, first, hello. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning, listeners. I get so excited. <laughs> I just like keep talking. Um, <laughs> Can you, I would love to know a little bit about what brought you into this space. Like, how did you start? Why did you become you? What, what's your story? Like, how did you come into this work? Absolutely. So I am a Haitian woman hailing from southeastern Florida. And most of my background um, was in the biological sciences. So I did a lot of work in biology. Um, and then I just transitioned into public health. So I started doing work in cancer biology and understood the um, intersection of genetics and public health um, when it comes to, uh, you know, tumor suppressors and all these fancy words that I'm not going to pronounce right now because it would, it would show how nerdy I am. But Coming from that it's background, too early. it's too early for big. big it's too topics. early for you all to know these things. <laughs> I agree, and I, yeah. I also, I also did a lot of work in like maternal child health hmm. and understanding infant mortality rates, and um, especially the African American and Black community. Um, so from there, I did just 
a lot of community organizing. So organizational work in um, tobacco cessation, for example, and um, nutrition um, for Latinidad communities. So doing work in those types of spaces as well. What brought me out to Oregon was a perfect opportunity at one of the largest regional hospitals out here um, to uh, do some work in the community as it relates to gentrification um, and displacement with older adults. So understanding cognition, memory, history of place, and how it related to that. So a lot of organizational um, work in community development and trust culture building um, was uh, the key the key themes um, and also the key skills that I that I acquired uh, throughout that type of work that I did and I decided to stay out here um, because I I kind of liked it I kind of liked the 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 different shades of green. Although I was not warned about the rainy season. You were not, it did not precede your arrival, how much rain is here. I mean, (laughs) it didn't, it didn't, but I realized that it made sense because with all the different shades of green, you need a lot of water to keep it up. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't think about the maintenance part of it, but apart from that, Northwest. <laughs> right. I didn't know that. I didn't know about it, but I, I stayed here and I, um, I continued to work at the, um, the, the regional hospital that I spoke about earlier. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm so glad you stayed because it's the reason that I met you yeah. and I'm thankful to our mutual friend who put us together. Um, so one of the, well, what we left off our last episode, our last conversation, and we had started to talk about, um, affinity groups. Mm -hmm. And while you were an employee working at the regional hospital, this is the, where you started to help create some of these spaces. Is that right? Right. That's right. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit like, well, let's actually, let's define affinity groups for people who don't know what they are that are listening. What's an affinity group and yeah. What's its function and purpose? So an affinity group is essentially two or more people coming together based on a common interest, be it the fondness for anime. I'm being very abstract. Anime or hiking or hair culture, whatever it is that is a a common interest, people come together and form these groups. And these groups, the purpose of them is a to serve as a support group for people as well based on those common interests and goals. And those common interests and goals drives the group's mission. So be it community service, then your goal is to go out into the community and mobilize and advocate and educate, then you do just that. And you have support from your peers to do to execute those those missions and goals as well. Okay, perfect. And then, um, is it can can we dive into the group that you started and and what that looked like? Yeah. So the group that I started was uh, was called Queen Social, and the why was because there wasn't an affinity group that addressed Black women researchers in a safe space. Um, there, there were other groups, but there weren't any groups that that 
um, helped us to empower one another, helped us to come together and just talk about what we were going through in, in a way that wasn't, um, condoning to the entire organization and that just didn't shed a negative light on the entire organization but lifted our voices to validate our experiences um with one another so not only to serve as the support but also networking opportunities so being able to connect a uh, a queen as we would say in the group to another queen who is probably doing some work that both of them can just collaborate and come together um so that's that was essentially the 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 group that i started and it wasn't only women um there was there was one man in there as well um and he was okay with being called queen <laughs> I, wanted, I love I wanted, the inclusivity of this group already. Right, right, exactly. That's exactly what I just want to say. Right, right, right. These groups can also be a, a way to 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 show not only allyship but also to portray um, inclusivity as well. Okay, um, and is there so? Uh, also, when I used to work for an organization, I remember we had uh, a couple affinity groups and one was for people of color and one was for folks within the LGBTQIA communities. Mm-hmm. And um, those two resource groups, sometimes folks could overlap between them just depending on how they showed up in the world. Um, right. But I remember a lot of conversations happening when they just started in the workplace around mm-hmm. why do they get a group? How come we don't have a group? And I'm wondering if you encountered any of that when you established the Queen Social Group, or um, if it was if it went if it was sort of like people were like, "Cool, yeah, they have a group." I if I I didn't to be honest, I didn't find that a challenge. I didn't find anyone saying that. Why did we get a group? I think that when you are asking those those questions and it's a necessary question you do have to understand history of place and you also do have to understand your own objection to why someone would need support beyond you and that requires you to have some type of introspection saying you know why am I really getting upset about not being able to participate or not being able to have my own group as such. Or you also could could enlighten yourself by um, asking, you know, is it okay if I, if I join you to see what, what this is all about and be in, and have a humble inquiry than, than, than be a little grump. So I think that's really important as well. That Great question. Good. Thank you. That, yeah, that's good. And I think for some of, it was kind of similar for my experience when people would ask those questions. And I think that you you kind of nailed it when you talked about, uh, did you say culture of place or the history of the place? History of place. History of the place. It's, it's important. There are automatically so many groups that people kind of fit into without thinking about it. And mm-hmm. that's kind of you need to create a discrete group that you know you can go and gather in if you don't fit into some of the more um, broader categories. And so being a person of color in a largely white workplace, um, there is a need to have some of those shared conversations in it with a sense of, of safety, not to like, 
organized to disband and burn down the organization. Because right. <laughs> I think that's what some people fear, right? Is that like, oh my gosh, they're they're in there talking badly about us. And it's like, no, actually they're folks are in there sharing their experiences for what's happened. And then they're thinking through solutions to work together to move forward. And I feel like that's a really big way affinity groups in, in my experience have have played have played out. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know in, in our pre kind of conversation before we did this um, recording, you were t- you were starting to tell me a little bit about how the how affinity groups can serve as sort of an, an advocacy role or as a vehicle between like employees and management or executive teams. Can you can yeah. you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, you know, um, you, you come together based on the your your common interest and. Um, your, your sharing experiences that can change the culture and transform the workplace to make it a much better workplace, not only for people who look like you, but also your, um, your colleagues who don't look like you. Right. So being able to help transform behaviors through discussion and it can definitely be I mean, affinity groups can definitely be a I wouldn't say ladder, but I would definitely say a mechanism that management can use to their advantage to bring up policy, to bring up um, different bylaws that need to be changed to, to be more inclusive Um and also a space where people can learn, where management can actually learn. Because in my work, I found that sometimes management can be disconnected to the what's being produced. I and think who everybody is, everywhere has that experience. <laughs> right? And who is producing it, yeah. right? Yeah. Who is producing it? So here we are, we're, we're, we're on a level management and you're creating these policies, you're creating these guidelines and you have absolutely no idea what it's like to have your boots on the ground and actually do that work that you're guiding or that you're creating the policy for. So these affinity groups become a great way for management to actually learn about what is happening and how they can change based on what is being said, policies, behaviors, and cultures to make it a a better space to work in. It's like a ready-made policy advocacy or policy ground truthing committee made up of people whose voices you, as a culture, may want to amplify and elevate because they haven't had representation previously, especially if we're looking at an executive team going back to the previous episode that is also working on its anti-bias lens, that is working on increasing its inclusion of different people. It feels like a great a great opportunity for organizations to to try if they haven't if they haven't tried one. And so, as organizations think about setting up an affinity group because they've heard this podcast, they think it's a great idea, they want to know how to do it, but they don't want to do it wrong. What do you advise? Yeah, I would advise to bring this idea to the people who are actually doing the work. Um, if you don't want to do it wrong, because it's not a cookie cutter mold right there's there's not a, a one right way or one 
right affinity group to have. Make a simple survey based on common interests within the organization and send that out and see the responses that you get. Or, you know, start networking and talking to your manager. Start talking to some people who are on the ground, make it randomized so you can kind of gather an idea. You as an executive and a manager can gather an idea of what people are are talking about and thinking about and start to create those groups. Give give the people the power <laughs> to be able to mobilize, essentially is what I'm saying. Thinking about how organizations can really help themselves to start getting the wheel turning on it is asking questions about why do we want this? What will it benefit? How, how will this help us with our, because it's about the bottom line. How will this help us propel our bottom line? Like, Mm -hmm. how will this help us? So I think starting there would be, would get the wheel turning. So you want people to do a little bit of the thinking work before, and you recommend that. I mean, I actually think that's a great recommendation for folks as they're starting to do the work and sit down and start to ask ourselves some really good why questions. That's what I'm hearing you say. And then kind of from the whys, like they'll do that work of unpacking some of their values and like the culture that they want to be in. And then start to look for the folks and you're one of the folks that they can call. Exactly. Awesome. Anything else around affinity group or even like what's next after an affinity group, right? What are other things that folks can also be thinking about as they start doing different aspects of work to create workplaces, embracing anti-bias lenses and safer people of color? I think that um, in the grand scale of things, when you do start doing this type of work and using anti-bias lens and you're using affinity groups, know that your values and your mission, be it whatever business, whatever sector and in, in, in industry you're in, it, it will eventually bleed into the community and it will be grassroots organizing. It will be grassroots organizations and development as well. So think about how not only this helps your bottom line, but this also helps your community to prosper as well. I feel like that's a really good end note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Edline, thank you so much for coming back today to talk with me, to help us learn more about what it means to create workplace cultures that have an anti-bias lens um, and strategies and tools that people can start to think about and do a little asking of why and then give you a call. So for folks who are listening, I'm going to post um, Edline's contact information into the, the show notes for this episode, and you can reach out to her directly as you think about how your organization or your team uh, wants to go and grow. Thanks, Edline. Thank you, Edline.